Hey, what's going on, everyone? It's Cole Cruz, and you're listening to the KC Ethno Boots podcast for the 10th of January 2020. Wow, that, that sounds that sounds quite different uh, now that I say it out loud. Um, we took a bit of a break over Christmas and New Year's just to recollect ourselves and uh, make new plans for the year coming in. Uh, but that does not mean we're going to reflect on 2019. No, 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 not at all, because this is the list podcast of 2019, we're going to talk about the worst, we're going to talk about the best, we're going to add some more mentions in, fuck it, might have put some underseen gems in there, but, first things first, I just want to say uh, to everyone, um, I know that some of you expected a podcast about the cats, um, not the cats, cats, uh, sorry, uh, <laughs> I guess I just was uh, filled with a bit too much rage to really... Uh, uh, spell my thoughts out in, in, a, um, in a, a more articulated form because um, it was mostly just gibberish and rage uh, during those moments after the film. Um, and uh, I just want to say as well before I start, um, not all of these films are going to be films you agree with. Or they should be on the list or anything. Remember, it's just my personal opinion. And I just want to reiterate before I start with the two lists here. Um, I did not see everything. Believe it or not, I did not see every single film last year. So um, I'm just going to read out a list of films that I've seen on other people's lists for the end of the year. And um, on like on uh, websites such as Letterboxd and all that stuff like that. Um so I just got this little list here of films I have not seen yet or did not see. It's either not available in Australia or um, any streaming services or anywhere I can get them. Or um, I just didn't, haven't seen them yet, just for certain reasons. Uh, one of them I can give a good, uh, quite a good reason for. So, yeah, starting off with Honey Boy, uh, Waves, 1917, Dark Waters... The Nightingale. Now, The Nightingale, I'll give you a reason for. Um, I'm just not in the mood to watch that yet. Um, I've heard it's a very, very heavy film to watch, and I do respect and love Jennifer Kent's work, but um, I'm just not in the right mindset, I think, to watch The Nightingale. And, uh, you know, I'll get to it it, um, within the next couple of weeks, I think, because I think I, I do need to see it, and I've been told it's a film to see. And um, I love the I love the Babadook, and I would like to see what she, she does next. Um, but it's just, the material just seems heavy, man. But it does, it also does seem important. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out. Um, when I get to it. Uh, Monos is another one. Um, haven't seen that yet. Hidden Life, Terence Malick's follow up. Uh, the Two Popes. I know it's on Netflix. Just haven't got around to it yet. Uh, Judy Zellweger just won the Golden Globe for Best Actress, and she probably will win the Best Actress Oscar at the Oscars, so I will be watching Judy just to see how I can make my own um, opinions on that. Um, But again, haven't seen it. Little Women came out on Boxing Day here in Australia. Just haven't seen it yet. Um, Haven't got around to it. I I was going to watch that or The Gentleman, um, Guy Ritchie's new movie, and because I'm such a huge fan of Guy Ritchie, um, I chose The Gentleman instead, but I will be watching Little Women very, very shortly. Uh, Little Women in 1917, I look to watching um, over the weekend, because 1917 just come out today, actually, in Australia. Uh, well, yesterday, now it's 
half past two in the morning, but yesterday in Australia. And uh, Klaus, I know that's on Netflix as well, haven't seen that yet. And finally, Clint Eastwood's movie, uh, Richard Jewell, haven't seen that either. Um, again, no Australia release, I don't know if we got it, I'm not too sure, maybe we got a limited release, but again, nothing, um, no word of it, I haven't seen it anywhere, and I haven't seen it, so... Sorry about that. So if you don't uh, hear those films in the list, that's why. That's what I just you know, explained to you. Um, right on. We're going to start off sour and end on a sweet note because why the hell we finish with the worst films? Um, let's look about... I've only got five here. I don't have ten like my best because, you know, I don't really get... I haven't seen many horrible films... Um, I've heard the kitchen's rule not real good, and I haven't seen it. So, oh, that was another film I should probably should put on there. Is all the kitchen, but those are mostly supposed to be you know good movies on there. Uh, but I've heard the kitchen's a mess, so uh, I haven't seen that. Um, I think they've even lowered the price at the um, JB Hi-Fi Blu-ray shelf. So not a good sign. Um, yeah, so I didn't see that. So I know that's, that'll be on a few people's um, worst list. It's not on mine. Um, but I've only got five because, again, I don't really go out of my way to watch a bad film. If I get told a film was bad or not good or not enjoyable or not worth my time, uh, I don't watch it. I simply just don't watch it. Um, but there are some exceptions, like our special mention that I'm going to talk about after this list. Um, so without further ado, let's get to the uh, top five. Um, I want to start with number five, which is uh, Michael Bay's Six Underground. Um, come out of Netflix, I believe, on the 21st of December, I believe. And uh, it was written promoted heavily from Ryan Reynolds on Instagram and this this, this crazy action film, uh, the most Michael Bay movie, Michael Bay ever Michael Bayed. That's a quote from Reynolds himself. And uh, like, oh, I was getting pretty pumped for it. I know a Michael Bay action movie is one you can just turn your brain off and enjoy and uh, just see it for all its uh, spectacle. But... Um, I, I don't know what the fuck this was. I seriously don't know what this was. Um, it's just a 90... I mean, it's almost a fucking two hours. Just, I don't know, obnoxious, nonsensical action thing? I don't even call it a movie. It's just a bunch of sequences with explosions and gunfights and characters you don't really give a fuck about. Um... Yeah, even Ryan Reynolds in this movie can't even save it because it's just so... Ugh, I don't know. It's not bland, it's not boring, it, it's just a lot. It's just a lot. And you're just like, what the fuck is going on right now? Like, you just the explosion every single... You know, every, like, five seconds or so, and then you're, you're you know, you're suddenly into the next scene, and it's just all this... It's all... It's so oversaturated, and... and, the, and the, oh, my God... <laughs> It's just, it's, it's, a, it's fucking, it's too much. It's too much. It's just too much. And you have no, it, it just gets to the point of just being so nonsensical. You have no fucking idea what's going on the next time this, a scene comes around. I mean, there's barely any transitions. You want to care the transitions, it's probably a fucking explosion. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know what I expected. I think I expected just at least just a fun action movie. Um, and judging by what I've seen on Reynolds' social media and, 
all the promotion, I, I thought it would just be, yeah, it would just be fun action, maybe lots of explosions, and, uh, you know, just a, a decent story. I mean, I didn't mind 13 hours, I mean, thought it would be something like that, but it's just, it's, it's like, it's like a Transformers, but with humans, um, instead of the machines, um, although there is some car racing in this movie, but they did not transform, so, bummer. Um, yeah, I don't know. Watch it if you want. Uh, nah, not for me. Uh, number four is on the opposite spectrum. It's uh, um, a bland and boring. It's Dark Phoenix. Uh, this is the the end, supposedly, to the Fox X Men franchise. And uh, you're expecting it to go over a bang, but you go out with a bit of a splat on the ground. Um, a little bit of a fucking just a. I mean, really spot in the ground because you're, like, banging your head against the wall because it's so fucking boring. Um, I mean, the only thing that really saves this movie is that's why it's sitting at number four and not number one, is it's the little train sequence at the end that I heard was added during reshoots. So, what the hell does that tell you about the film? It's 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 poorly directed by and held by Simon Kingberg. I mean, he's been a writer and a, and a producer on these X-Men films for some time, and he just it just doesn't show here... Um, Sophie Turner's fine Jessica Chastain's villain is forgettable and it's just so disappointing what what it, what hurts the most is it's just I've been a fan of the Fox Men X-Men films um, Apocalypse I was a bit iffy on but I've been a fan of it for ever since it really started really and for it to end this whole saga to end on this note is just deeply just disappointing and uh, uh I've just really let down, I guess. Um, but, you know, hopefully Marvel, Disney, Marvel can save it. I don't know. Who knows? We'll see what happens there. But, um, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I, it's very let down. Very let down. Um, I mean, I even fell asleep during this movie. I fell asleep during it. And I don't, I don't really fall asleep during movies because I like to obviously watch movies and finish them. But I fell asleep about 40, about an hour in, I'm pretty sure. And then I had to, like you know, go back and watch the rest of it, but, oh man, I don't know what else to say, it's just, uh, number three is, uh, Lady World, um, I watched this as part of the Sydney Film Festival last year, and, um, it was, it starts off fine, it's an interesting concept, but it gets to the point of being, again, like Six Underground, so nonsensical, but also, none like Six Underground, so maddening, with its sound design, and its ridiculous characters, that you want to just, you think you're going insane, and uh, by the end of it, you're just, you think, what the, what was that? What, what, what the hell was that? Was that even in a cohesive narrative, even? And... I just remember just finishing it, and and uh, I couldn't even describe what I saw, but it, not in the way I watched a few other movies last year, but just in the way of just like, I really don't know what happened. I don't know what I saw. I was just taken by the fucking overbearing uh, musical score and the and the crazy sound design and the the. I get the maddening characters. I don't know. This is not one you want to really waste your time with. I don't think. I think you're going to go insane as well, just like I did. So, not a good recommendation. And that's why it's number three. But number two 
is even worse because number two is a movie you've already seen. You've already seen this movie um, quite a while ago, actually. Uh, it's The Lion King, 2019. Um, it's The Lion King. What the fuck can I say? Um, it's, it's, but the worst thing about it is, unlike, um, maybe it's like, um, I mean, I haven't really been a huge fan of the Disney live action stuff. Um, Jungle Book was alright. Aladdin was, was, I was really excited about Aladdin, um, after I watched it and I was like, oh, that was really, really good. And then I watched it again and I was like, oh, yeah, okay, righto. Um, I just haven't been really a big fan of it. I think Aladdin is still my favorite um, of the Disney live actions. And this is easily the worst, I think, of the Disney live actions because there's just no heart here. There's just no emotion. Um, I felt nothing. And I could easily just go back and watch The Lion King because this is what it is. It's just The Lion King. Um, Beyonce's songs add nothing to the film. Uh, the songs are worse than the other songs, like than the original songs from the film. Uh, it's soulless. It's a cash grab. I don't know what to want to say about this one. Uh, it's, it's just nothing, and you feel nothing, and I never want to watch it ever again. Um, and number one, um, so I can finally get out of this this crazy mess of bad movies. Um, number one is something you probably expected of it. Um, I didn't make a podcast of it, but. Uh, here it is now. It's Cats. Um, yeah, I don't know. This movie is just... I mean, I, I can't... This is what I can't do. Because I was going to go on a massive rant about how this movie's nightmarish and everything, and you want to fucking kill yourself halfway through. But um, what I can say is, this is based off a musical. The musical has made, I believe, $4 billion on Broadway. And people love the musical, and people think it's amazing. And um, there's a, they've got a lot of avid fans of it. Um, this also could be a bit of a cult classic in the way of just people watching it and getting, you know, either drunk or, you know, on substances and uh, watching it and having a laugh about it with a few friends. But, so I'll say this, if it, I can't bash on the story because, uh, well, I, what the fuck is the story? There's no story to it. I can't bash on, like, I guess on the uh, the source material because it's already a musical. It's it's very famous. People love it, and if they love it, that's fine. Um, but what I can talk about is the way it's been translated the film. Um, and I will say one more positive thing: it's directed by Tom Hooper, and his vision for Cats is very singular. And he can and it, I don't really, it, I can't really imagine any other director. Uh, making this film <laughs> this film because it's fucking insane man it's insane oh I don't know fucking bloody phone this is where you put your phone on silent people um I cannot imagine anyone doing this then Tom Hooper um this is this is purely his singular vision I mean he did it I mean hats off to him I guess for making this movie within the confines of his vision and making it what he wanted it to be um which is a fucking waking nightmare um but I mean I gotta give a half thought to him for just following following his his uh I don't know what do you his design for this movie I just I can't 
Okay. Um, okay. Uh, myself. So yeah, all I can say is that I can't bash Tom for doing that. Um, he's he followed his vision. He did. He did it. He fucking made them. It exists, people. This movie exists. It's out there. So, and it's I. I just cannot imagine anyone making this. So I cannot imagine anyone else making this movie. But he done it. So there you go. But let's get to the film. Um, as I said, it's a wa- it's a fucking waking nightmare. It's got no plot. Um, the stongs, the the stongs, the songs are just introduction to cats. But again, that's based on the source material, so I can't bash that. Uh, but when it comes to film, it just doesn't work. It just does not work. You need when you make a film, you need transitions. You need transitions to the next scene. You need a cohesive plot, and this movie just doesn't have it. It just doesn't have a story. Uh, you don't feel the fuck about these characters because they're human-cat hybrids that you want to claw your eyes at because you don't want to fucking see them again. Um, it's got very bad CGI, uh, so much so that these the human faces coming off the cats look just... They look like nightmare fuel, dude. They look... They just... They will scare children. How the fuck do you expect children to watch this movie and just and be and like really love it? And then, Dad, I want a cat's toy. I want a cat's toy um, with with human fingers, and I want it with feet. Oh, by, by the way, the toy's got to levitate as well because that's what the cats do in the movie. They levitate. Like w- w- they're gonna be scared by this. There is a sequence in this movie where Rebel Wilson. Named, uh, I don't know what her fucking, what, Jimmy Kimmy Mittens or some shit. Um, but she's the Gumby cat. And she dances and then she unveils this, I guess this compartment within her kitchen. It reveals mouse with children's faces on them. Children's faces that are poorly CGI'd. Think of the sun from Teletubbies, right? Now just put that like maybe seven times on seven different CGI mice and you will get that scene from Cats. Does that scare you? Yeah, it fucking scares me as well. And it did in the theatre. It really did. Um, And then followed by that, you have cockroaches coming out and then she eats the cockroaches alive. So I don't... What are they they getting at with here? What What are they trying to... Kids are not going to want to watch this. They're not. Um, but let's get on with the, the rest of it, I guess. Um, the cats are infuriating. Um, I wanted to walk out 20, maybe 30 minutes in. Uh, this is the first movie this year I actually wanted to walk out of, but I didn't because I was there for my friend's birthday and I wanted to stay there for him and watch the movie for him and, and just experience what the hell this movie had left for me. Um, the answer is nothing, by the way, but I just had to sit there and just, I can't even, I'm trying to stop myself from laughing. Um, <laughs> I, this is the first movie this year, right? I was, I was a 20 minutes in, I was, oh, my watch wasn't on, but I was just looking around, I was just like, I, 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 we're all tolerating this, aren't we? We're just, we're sitting here, we're just tolerating this. We're just sitting through this fucking nightmare. And, uh, I mean, I couldn't even make an excuse to go to the tour because I, I, I can't, 
I didn't want to go to the toilet, but then like you're looking at the screen and you're like, you can't look away. It's like this uncanny valley shit that you have, you want to escape it, but you have to sit there and just realize this whole experience and just fucking just wait till it's all over. And then hopefully you don't want to see it again. Like, oh, I do, I, I'd never want to fucking see this, this fucking tr- trash ever again. But you have to, you have to, if you want to watch it, you watch it. Like, I, I, I can proudly say now that I've seen, I mean, I don't want to say proudly, but I can say that I've seen Cats now. I've seen it. I've seen it on the big screen. Um, there's a movie ticket with uh, my name on it. Uh, it's it's a cat stub ticket, and it has my name on it, and it's in my bedside drawer because I wanted to document my biggest nightmare of 2019. I can't even. I need to find another word than nightmare because this thing is just something something else, man. Um, I'm gonna shut up now, Bev, because I need to move on because we're 20 minutes in. But yeah, bottom line is. Um, I really fucking hate this movie. I really hate it with every fiber of my being. I just, I don't want to watch it ever again. Um, not even in a sense of getting drunk or, or doing anything else with anything with mates and just laugh, take it laughing at it and taking the piss. I don't want to watch this film ever again. Um, it makes me very, very uncomfortable. I mean, the cats are just, they all, they all, they want to fuck all the time as well. They want to fuck. They all want to fuck. They all want to fuck. All these cats just want to fuck. They all want to. They're like rubbing up against each other. There's no. But the weird thing is, there's no kissing or there's no anything like that or any interaction that we're used to. There's all this rubbing up against each other. The, the tail's getting stiff and it's fucking creepy, man. It's fucking creepy. And I hate it. And I hate it. I fucking hate it so much. I don't want to see this ever again. Fuck cats. Fuck. Fuck. All right, fucking move on. Um, I don't want to give a special mention, but before we move on to our best films, a special mention to John Travolta and the and the fanatic. Um, what a film that was! Um, I watched it drunk with a mate, and I did not regret it at all. Unlike Cats, I didn't regret it at all. And um, it's his best performance of his whole career. It's 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 phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. Um. You will sit down and you'll watch it, like he says in the film. <laughs> you will watch it. He, uh, like, he can't even be mad at John Travolta for dedicating himself so much to this character of Moose. By the way, his name's Moose, and I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about the, the, the thing with uh, antlers. Um, yeah, his name's fucking Moose. Um, there is literally a scene where he wears the moose antlers and says, "Moose is in the house." Um. But I, I don't, again, I don't, I can't blame John Travolta for taking on that role. Um, you know, it's like it's 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 better than Gotti. I'll say that it's better than Gotti, because um, Gotti is just very very long, very long, like too long, like just too long, like fuck, way too long. And you can you can sit there, you can actually have a good time with a mate and watch the fanatic. Um, it's directed by Fred Durst of Limp Biscuit. Yeah, that's that's it. that's him, of Limp Biscuit, and it's just it's it's a really good experience because Travolta just 
just commits, man. He just commits to this role of this mentally handicapped uh, fan of this um, of this uh, movie star that's played by Devin Sauer from the Final Destination uh, one when he, he played Alex. And um, wow, it's it's a film. I'll tell you that it's a film. Um, so that's what gets my special mention, The Fanatic. Um, if that's a movie that you want to sit down and enjoy and, and have a good time and take the piss out of, it's The Fanatic. And John Travolta is going to give you all the entertainment that you fucking need. Because, um, wow. Wow, John. Just, just, just wow. Alrighty. We're moving out of dangerous territory now and we're floating into calmer waters. Um... We're going to talk about some honorable mentions. Well, first of all, we're going to go to the top 10, but we're going to, I do have some honorable mentions, um, quite a bit of honorable mentions, actually. Um, so I'll, I'm going to talk about those uh, now. Sorry, I need to get back to the mic. I do have some honorable mentions and I want to talk about them because I still want these films to be recognized and I still want them, I still want to talk about them and make sure they're on people's radars because, you know, these are movies I also loved, but they just couldn't crack the list. So... Here are my honorable mentions from 2019. The Irishman. Martin Scorsese meditates on his career with a film full of powerhouse performances from our favorite veterans that are a part of a tale well worth its runtime. The Art of Self-Defense, an underseen side-splitting dark comedy canon that takes aim at hyper-masculinity. Uh, great lead performance for Jesse Eisenberg. Just wish it had a bit more um, image and boots. Ad Astra, the Brad Pitt performance not many people were talking about. James grade directs a quiet and somber story about space in spa, set in space about a man just trying to find his dad um it's yeah it's it's the brad pitt performance from last year that i think was just phenomenal joker joaquin phoenix gives performance of a, of a lifetime but it's still not my favorite of this though that belongs to the master as freddie Dolomite is my name, and it's an inspirational true story about Rudy Ray Moore, a man who just wanted to make a movie with his mates, and he did. Uh, shows the performance from Eddie Murphy, um, and one of the most electrifying films of the year. Us. Jordan Peele returns with a brilliant sophomore effort with a scarily good performance from Elfrida Nyong'o, and the theme still relevant to today. And also, I just want to reiterate, um, I talked about my scores in the list as well. Uh, like in the earlier list from um, last year um, Michael Abel's score for us is my second favorite score of the year it is incredible and um, you should definitely give that a listen ready or not Samara Weaving absolutely shines in this darkly funny thriller about eating the rich um, the production design is beautiful as well and um, I just love the whole ensemble of characters and how wacky they are and just how ridiculous they look they look ridiculous uh, Avengers Endgame. I think the Russo brothers delivered an extremely pleasing culmination to an epic, I believe, eleven-year saga. Um, correct me if you want to. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to where they're going to take the Marvel Cinematic Universe next. But I'm, I thought it was a really good culmination to the saga. This could have cracked to number ten, but it just, it just didn't. Um, Long shot. Um, another great blighting comedy from John Ruffin Levine. We got excellent chemistry between its two leads of um, Seth Rogen and Charlie's Theron. I think Charlie's Theron gave one of the best female performances last year in that movie. And uh, it was a very, very pleasant surprise and very, very funny. Frozen 2. 
I got lost in the woods and went into the unknown for the sequel to the Disney animated 2013 film about letting go and building snowmen. <laughs> I cannot believe I wrote that. <laughs> uh, fighting with my family. Florence Pugh shows more of her range by tackling the true story of WWE superstar Paige. Uh, there was a splendid feature film debut from Stephen Merchant. And guys, I've said it. I said it when I talked about Midsummer. Florence Pugh is a name you need to look out for. She is going to be huge, and she already is. Like again, shows her range with so many fucking good movies from last year. Um, again, I haven't seen Little Women yet, but I've heard she's really good in that too. Even deserving a supporting actor nomination. Loose. Twisted nine games between a history teacher and her A-star student. And I just want to say one name as well, just like Florence Pugh, another name to look out for, is Kelvin Harrison Jr. Um, he's in another movie, I believe, uh, Waves, that I haven't seen as well. And uh, if I saw that, I'll be seeing his name even further. But just with Luce, he just fucking he blew me away. I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be big. He reminds me a bit like uh, Denzel Washington in a way. Uh, greener Grass, crazy, wacky, eerie, 90-minute SNL sketch stretched to its absolute limits. I had a movie night for this one um, with some costumes and um, and, um, diff- and food and, and uh, from the film, and uh, everyone, it was a really good night. Everyone really enjoyed it. Um, but I will say, we'll warn you before going in, it's very weird. It's, 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 it's almost uncanny like, but, but not in a bad way like cats. Um, this is, this is at least funny. Fuck you cats. Climax. Gaspar Noé's dance horror will mesmerize you with its atmosphere and dancing, but will also make you squirm where you sit. I was extremely uncomfortable with this movie, but in a really, really good way. Um, you're going to be very... I mean, you're going to be really turned off by what you see in the film. It's, it's definitely a horror. I mean, wh- how often can you say that something is a dance horror? Um, it's really, truly something unique. Another notch in the belt for A24. And Sophia Patella gives a very... Uh, what do I say? Um, just, she just sheds herself in a her performance. And um, it's a, in my opinion, it's well worth the watch. Well worth the nightmare, if you want to say that. Uh, John Wick Chapter 3, you get more Keanu, you get more fights, and most importantly, you get more dogs. Toy Story 4, the sequel I didn't think we needed, but I'm glad we got. Um, it's an amazing end to Woody's arc, and another great addition to the franchise. I mean, they actually pulled it off with this one, so... Hooray, I think they did it really beautifully as well. Um, please don't make Toy Story 5, I think it is fine. But, at the same time... What? Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. I hope not. Ford v. Ferrari. Um, in a very engaging film, mixed with gay character moments and high octane race sequences. Um, you got two great performances from Christian Bale and Matt Damon. And this is my favorite racing film since Ron Howard's Rush. I think James Mangold made a very, very entertaining and tight film. Animals. Another movie I saw at Sydney Film Festival um, with a friend of mine. It's, um, I believe it's one of the last year's Understand Gems. Uh, it's about the balance of family and your work and your social life and the difficulties that come with growing up and, and growing out of a, um, I mean, I guess maturing, really. Uh, you have amazing chemistry between Elias Shawkett and um, a person who I've never heard of as well, and 
something you should keep your name out, um, eye out for. Holiday Granger. I think she gives a really good performance, and um, she and and her and Elia are just are just fantastic together. And Rocket Man, um, the true definition of a biopic fantasy. Um, it's a very entertaining film about the life of Elton John. I think Dexter Fletcher, just like Tom Hooper, truly realizes his vision here. For I mean, maybe this is what we got to get with Bohemian Rhapsody before he was. Um, I mean, I mean, he was brought on for Bohemian Rhapsody, but maybe that's what he was going to get fully with Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, and now I kind of wish he directed the whole thing. Um, and and went with his vision for that, but I think he really truly truly realizes his vision here. And Taron Egerton just blows you away with his singing and dancing. I never knew he had it in him, and uh, it was fantastic. And finally, the Peanut Butter Falcon, um, the sweetest movie of the year. I think at Zach, Zach Gossigan, um shines in his feature film debut, and Shia LaBeouf, who we're all sleeping on, by the way. And uh, Dakota Johnson do not uh, disappoint. And two other ones that I just want to um, that I want to talk about as well. That I haven't put on this list that I really wish I did, uh, which I can do actually quickly add in now, is um, Official Secrets, which is um, one of my favourite female performances of last year as well. Kira Knightley, um, I think that's really good as well. You can check out my review of that on my Letterboxd. And I want to just quickly shout out Doctor Sleep as well. Um, I'm a big fan of The Shining, and I love the follow-up to it from Mike Flanagan. I think it's a fantastic horror filmmaker, and um, his 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 uh, challenge of both adapting from the Doctor Sleep source novel and following up and and uh, pleasing fans of Stanley Kubrick's Shining. Um, I think he's done an exceptional job with that. I think he's done the best job he really could do with that. And um, he pulled it off, and it's it's you have a great performance from Ewan McGregor. You have a really really cool and engaging final act, and Rebecca Ferguson, hmm. fantastic, love it. Alrighty, those were the honorable mentions. Let's now get to, let's get to it. Let's let's just let's just do it. Let's stop the uh, drum roll and everything like that. Let's just get to it. It's the f- ten. The 10 best films of 2019. These are the films. I mean, there's a lot of wrestling with all the um, with the honorable mentions in the list. I mean, things were falling out. Things were going up. Things were, things were getting replaced with other films. And I was making so many switches up until yesterday when I finally made the definitive list. Um, but I'm I'm pleased to say that this is a definitive list. I'm happy where all these things stand, where all these films stand, and um, I mean again, it it goes it, it goes to show that it could change. I mean, people are right when you know, your opinions change and, and rewatches and everything opinions change. Um, but this is the list that I'm happy with, and uh, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Uh, also, some of these movies I've seen once, some of these movies I've seen two times, three times, four times. Uh, a couple of them I've seen more than fucking five. And one I've seen eight times. Um, let's get into it. Ten is Booksmart. Uh, I thought this movie was hilarious from start to finish and a very poignant and deep celebration of friendship, particularly of these two women uh, led by 
a um, dynamic duo of Caitlin Deaver and Beanie Feldstein. I mean, I've loved Caitlin ever since watching her in Short Turn 12. Um, and Beanie was also really good in Lady Bird. That's when I first, I think I first um, noticed her, was in Lady Bird. And um, they're just surrounded by my favorite ensemble of 2019. Um, the, the supporting cast are hilarious my, my my favorite being billy lord's Gigi. i think she is one of the best characters of 2019 uh she is just hilarious and random and you, whenever she shows up the film just kicks up a notch and uh it's so good i think olivia wilde's directorial touch adds a lot of heart to an already tight and fresh script and I, I it's sure to become a modern classic in the same vein of super bad Number nine is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Talking about another dynamic duo, Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt as Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth. Tarantino lets you live in 1970s Hollywood for two hours and 45 minutes, and it's everything you expect and more. Um, it's a movie that's less about its plot and more about spending time with its characters, and I absolutely loved this film. I loved it after the first watch. After the second watch, I was like, maybe this. And then I watched it a third time. And I just love this film. Um, it's not Tarantino's best. And it's not my favorite of Tarantino's. But it, it still had to stay in this list. It's I absolutely love this movie. I've seen this movie now four times. And uh, I mean, you look at that runtime and just think you've watched it four times. Like, what the fuck are you doing with your life, girl? But. That's what I want to do. I want to go back to 1970s Hollywood. I want to drive with Cliff Booth down the street. I want to wrestle with Brandy. I want to shoot some... <laughs> I was going to say shoot some Manson family moves in the face, but I don't know if I got that uh, If I got that in me. Uh, don't get me wrong, though. You're still what you came for in that, uh, that third act, which can only be described as very Tarantino. Um, loved it. Eight is uh, a movie that I haven't talked about in the podcast before, so I'm going to talk about it right now. Eight is Uncut Gems. Um, it's directed by the Safety, written and directed by the Safety Brothers. Um, it's their follow-up to 2019's Good Time, and further pushes their um, her whole. Um, I don't know, what, what, what do I say? It's their their type, I guess. I wouldn't say type. Um, the whole the whole presentation of anxiety induced cinema that they do especially a good time but this one just fucking takes it to 11 um it's about harry ratner who's played by adam sandler he owns a jewel shop and he gets in he gets possession of this um uncut gem uh from the i believe i don't know what i forget actually i actually forget what this country is from but it's from uh, one of the mines in there and uh, he gets it, and it's got a lot of jewels in it, and um, Kevin Garnett comes in, yes, basketball player Kevin Garnett comes into the uh, the shop, and asks to hold on to the gem, and, um, and I'm off to, off to the side, by the way, Howard is like, you know, selling watches, he's selling all these things, he gets a bet, he gets a huge bet, and then bets that away, um, he's got a wife, he's got two, two, two kids, I believe, and he's also got a woman on the side. Um, this man is a scumbag. He is, uh, you are constantly infuriated with him, but at the same time, strangely rooting for him. 
You want him to win. Like he says in the trailer, this is how I win. You want him to win. You want him to come out on top, but you don't know why because he is just such a fucking idiot and so infuriating to watch. He's obviously got a gambling addiction. Um, and he just makes wrong choice after wrong choice after wrong choice. And to even boost that even further, the Safdie brothers have dialogue overlapping. They've got this. They've got the crazy sound design done by Daniel Lupatin, I believe his name is. He did the score for Good Time as well. Um, the crazy sound design, the score. Sorry, the score by Daniel Lupatin. Um. And the, the, the sound design as well, you have characters yelling over each other, you've got a door will open, then Kevin Garnett will, will fall through some glass, or or um, uh, Keith Sanfield will come in and looking for a watch, and there's just characters coming and going, and coming and going, and you just want to stand there, and you just want to go, fucking stop, stop, like, take a fucking breath, but the safety rubbers don't let you do that. They they just say, oh, you want to take a breath? Well, how about something else going to happen in this scene? How about that? And then something else does happen in the scene, and then you're like, holy shit, man. And it's just this two-hour, 15-minute anxiety trip that feels like it's never going to end, but it, and it does. It's it's a movie that just flies. It just flies through its runtime. Through its, through, its, uh, through its runtime, sorry. And uh, you're going to look at that movie and and just think like two hours, 15 minutes, like that's going to be, you know, it might be a bit of a chore. But I'm telling you about the Southie brothers just, again, they they just make it so much fucking better. And they know exactly what they want to do for the film. It's like, it's, it's, in my opinion, I like it better than Good Time. Um, I think it's a better film than Good Time. And um, Adam Sandler, man, he, when he's given the right shit, he delivers. He really fucking delivers. And I really wish he did more dramatic work because he is he is just something else. When he's given the right material, he is a really, really, really engaging um, performer. And I could not imagine anyone else playing the role of Howard Ratner than Adam's... After watching this movie, I couldn't imagine playing that role, anyone playing that role except Adam Sandler because he just fits into it like a fucking glove. And... Oh man, I don't know what what more to say. Is it's 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 incredible. It's it's fast. It's crazy. It's it's just it, again anxiety inducing. And you're like, when is this ride gonna end? And guess what? You've got forty minutes left. Fuck. Uh, but in the best way possible. Um, I'm gonna say something else, but I, for, I forgot. What I'm gonna say. Um, oh yeah, there's only one scene I don't really care for, and it's this scene that takes place in a club with um, the weekend. You might have seen him in the trailer, but that scene I was just like didn't really do anything for me, and it didn't really boost the story in a way or help its 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 development. Um, it does involve a certain side character as well that um, who's played brilliantly, by the way, by newcomer Julia Fox. Oh my god, she was great. Um, she was really really good as Howard's little side chick. Um, slash co-worker at the uh, jewel shop. Um, uh, there's nothing more I can say about Uncut Gems. I I think it's Stafty Brothers. I think it's their best film they've made so far. I think Adam Sandler gives one of the year's best performances. He could be recognized for an Oscar. I know he didn't get nominated for the Globes or anything, um, but he could get recognized for an Oscar for a lead actor, and I think he should, to be honest, because he is he gives one of the best male performances of the year. And... I could not imagine anyone when when someone does that for me in terms of character. 
I, when I can't imagine anyone filling that role and playing that role so well, that is what is substantial to me. And uh, Uncut Gems, Howard Ratner, Uncut Gems. I mean, that's it. Number seven, uh, The Farewell. Um, I have actually done a podcast in The Farewell, so if you want to um, hop on to that one, um, I've got a podcast on The Farewell and my number five pick, so if you want more thoughts, if you want my, my, my all of my full thoughts on The Farewell, um, there's a podcast that is dedicated solely to The Farewell and my number five pick, so if you want to hear those more extensive thoughts, go on over there. Um, but I just want to say that Aquafina just shows you she's not just a comedic side character. She delivers one of my favorite female performances of 2019. I think it's a very personal and moving film from writer-director Lu Lu Wang. Um, it encapsulates family in the most natural sense. And you will call your, your grandma afterwards. I mean, and you, you'll tell her how much you love her because that's what it does. That's what it does. Um... I couldn't recommend it even more. I see Wang getting a... I, I really want her to get a screenplay nomination for the Oscars because I know she didn't... Did she did She get recognized at Globes? I forget. Um, if it was on Monday, I should fucking know if it was. Um, but she is just absolutely... She's made something really, 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 really moving and touching and um, has one of my favorite final shots of the year. Um, and it's got a great score as well from Preston, and uh, Wang herself has a little bit of piano laid throughout it. And Aquafina, man, Aquafina, she just blew me away. She absolutely blew me away. Um, yeah, check it out. Farewell. Number six is Jojo Rabbit. Um, this movie is one of the funniest movies of the year. It's mixed with dark and poignant moments. I think Taika Waititi strikes a perfect balance between absurdity and ridiculousness and comedic moments and just mixes in this this eerie darkness, especially in very, very stark moments. Um, he just does it so well. And, and I, I, I just hats off for him for doing that because it would be very... It's, it'd be a hard job to make such a heartwarming and uplifting film, but also sliding in some very, very stark moments. Um, and I think Scarlett Johansson, Thomas McKenzie deliver great supporting performances, and Roman Griffin Davis. Well done, lad. Roman Griffin Davis. One of my favorite performances of the last year. I believe I gave an honorable mention for my uh, male performances. But um, for a great... I think for the first movie I've seen him in, I mean, I think he's done a really, really job, good job, but that also is attributed to the wonderful direction from Taika Waititi. Number five is Parasite. What can I say about Parasite that's already been said? Uh, it's incredible filmmaking with a rollercoaster screenplay. It's Bong Joon-ho's masterpiece. Um... You'll feel every single emotion, and then some. Like one minute you're feeling happy, then you'll be feeling scared, then you'll be feeling sad, and then you want to, you want these characters to succeed. And I love the way that, um, that Bong just. You never, you never, you never rooting for um, the good guys, and you never, you never, um, I guess, hating the bad guys because everyone's kind of on a neutral ground. But it's a really good exploration 
and and um, poignant explanation of the class system. There's some beautiful, beautiful cinematography in this movie, and and just gorgeous composition. Um, and there's a reason why people are talking about this film and saying it's the best film of the year. I think it's the best made film of the year. It's almost perfect. Um, I mean, I know I said it's Bong Joon-ho's masterpiece, um, but I can see that the third act could go off a little bit off the rails. Um, it could have been maybe tied down a bit. After having watching it a second time, I feel like it had been tied down a bit, but it's it's almost, it's it's like... It's, it's like if you're looking at a statue and someone's, like, sculpted it. Um, I mean, how is he going to make a fucking statue? And you have this, like, little little chip. You just have a little chip. So you're looking in the arm. And you're looking up. And then you see this little chip on the arm of the statue. But you can't... You're looking at it from below. So you can't see. If you have a magnifying glass and you look at that chip, that's what Parasite is to me. It has that one little chip that you could look at and be like... Oh, that's that's a bit of a that's chipped there. That's, that's chipped. I can't. Um, but when you step back and look at it, this film is f- it's 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 fucking amazing. It's it is a gorgeous piece of art, and I think it's one of the best films of the decade. Honestly, I honestly do think it's one of the best films of the decade. I, I I'd put it in top ten. It's it's absolutely phenomenal. It's everything you've heard about and more. Number four is another film I haven't talked about the podcast yet. It's it's Marriage Story. Um, currently available on Netflix. Um, it's about Adam Driver's uh, Charlie and Scarlett Johansson's Nicole, and uh, they're getting a divorce. And um, you know that 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 will take slides slides at each other every now and then. But ultimately, their goal is to make sure that their child is is you know um, looked after. Um, this film is about love. To me, to me, this film is about love and what it means to love. Uh, unlike some of the films that tackle the subject and will often go the dour and uh, depressive, depressing. How the fuck did I mean to say depressing? Depressing route. I was going to say depressive. Depressing route. Uh, Noel Bombach treats his two leads with so much respect, and and the beauty of it is, like, you're never on Charlie's side and you're never on Nicole's side. You understand what they're going through, and you resonate with the fight for their child's happiness and safety. Um, I, I think it's not Bombak's best film, and I really, really cannot wait to see what he follows up with this because this was just <laughs> this is phenomenal. Um, I've seen this movie about three times now, and love it and love it and love it every single time. Um, that argument scene alone, and watching that argument scene. Uh, side by side with the script and like seeing all the pauses and all the hesitation that was written in there by Bombak. I mean, he just fucking, he just nails it. He just nails it. And, um, it's, again, it has two of the best lead performances of the year from Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. Um, Driver's going to get nominated for an Oscar, but now after the Golden Globes, I mean, I, I thought he would win, uh, but after watching the Golden Globes, I think we're telegraphing that, Joaquin Phoenix is going to win for the Joker. But if he wasn't my pick, I would definitely go with Adam Driver for Marriage Story because he gives it the best performance of his whole career. And he's and he, he and Scarlett Johansson. Like it's, just a, a, it's a couple you look at and just think, how's that going to work? And then it just does. 
they really believe this couple has been through it all and that their time is up. And it's it's just a very... I mean, I come into this film and I just had no no words. I watched this at, um, in Sydney when I first saw a friend of mine and I just came out of it just thinking I just had no words. And ever since then, just working on Netflix, it's just a very, very beautiful film and one of the best films of the year. Number three is another film that I was speechless about after I finished it, uh, is The Lighthouse. Um, it's about two, uh, wikis, um, a wiki and a, uh, I'll just say, no, I'll say two wikis, I won't say too much. Two wikis, uh, probably Robert Robertson Pattinson, Robert Pattinson, sorry, and Willem Dafoe. And they are asked to work on a, uh, on the lighthouse. I mean, they asked, you really see the asking, but, um, they go to work on a, a lighthouse on this deserted island. And um, throughout the nights working there, Rob Pattinson realizes there's something going on with the light, like light up in the lighthouse, because Willem Dafoe's character, uh, Thomas Wake, seems to be so encapsulated by what's up there. And um, because of that, he starts going insane, and then you start going insane, and then holy fucking shit, you have one of the weirdest movies of the year and one that I really, really, really love. I don't know what to say after I watched it the first time, but I've seen this movie three times now, and um, it's, I don't know, I don't know what to say. It's just, Robert Eggers has, again, I want to say it again, has a, he's the third director on this list that I say does have such a singular vision that I could not imagine anyone writing this or directing this the way that he did this and made this film. Um, it's in black and white. Um, I believe the aspect ratio, I mean, it's not four by three, it's something, it's something else. But he even wrote the script. He even wrote in the script, this this movie is to be shot in black and white and and be in the ratio of, um, of the ratio that I'm getting up right now. of 1191 and it's in the script like I've I've wrote I've, I've read the script for this movie and it's in the script so this is how particular Robert Eggers is one of this to be this one of this movie to be um and he had, he had the witch and I really really liked the witch but I like this movie more than the witch um the witch to me um is a, you know it's it's still a great film but I was just blown away by every single aspect of the lighthouse. We can we can talk about the score from um, uh, Michael Corvain. I believe I'm saying that name right. Um, excuse me. Yeah, Mark Michael Corvain. Sorry, my Mark Corvain. Um, we can talk about the score. Um, it's a uh, you know, like I said in my post on Instagram, it's a quiet bystander at times, but also can be a vulgar intrusion when it's it's dark and eerie and really silent when it's quiet but it's loud and bombastic when it needs to be and when you're stuck in the thick of it all and stuck in the insanity that in, the, in this this movie um it really really puts you in 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 into the film like you feel like you're there on the rock with thomas and ephraim and you feel like you're going insane with them 
Um, the cinematography as well is just beauti beautifully handled, um, composition-wise as well. And um, I think that um, I just want to get I want to get I want to credit the cinematographer because he he just he it gives one of the he is one of the best uh, it's one of the best looking films of the year. Um, I'm just trying to get the where's the crew? Oh, IMDb, why do you do this? Why do you do this? Oh my god. Ay, oh, come on. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Bloody crew. Um, cinematography by uh, Yaron Blaschk. I think that's, am I saying that name right? Yaron Blaschk? Yaron Blaschk. Yaron Blaschk? Um, he also was a cinematographer for The Witch, um, and his you see why Robert Eggers wanted to put this movie in black and white because there are so many scenes they're just subtle glances from Robert Pattinson um, there is so many beautifully lit scenes and it just makes it so much like dark and, and stormy and, and just helps build the atmosphere of the movie I couldn't even imagine this movie in colour because I, I don't want to live in that I want to be in this black and white frightening piece and um, we can, let's, get, let's get to the performances because they're fucking incredible. Robert Pattinson gives one of the best performances of his, of his whole career. Um, especially after watching him with a good time. I haven't and High Life. He was really good in High Life as well from this year as well, um, which was actually going to be my honorable mentions as well, but I just didn't make it. Um, he was really good in that and in Claire Denis' film High Life. And he, but he is the best I've seen him. I think, in my opinion, in the Lighthouse. Um, he commits so much to his character. He, he, he just sells you on this insanity, and um, this slowly degrading psyche that Ephraim has. And he's just matched again. Like you think, holy shit, Robert Pattinson's given his all, and then you fucking turn to Willem Dafoe, and then he's given the best form of his whole career. And then you're like, holy shit. And I see Willem Dafoe getting a supporting nod. I really, I really do see him getting a supporting nod, um, or at least I really want him to get a supporting nod. Jeez. Uh, but he is—he is probably my favorite part of the movie is Willem Dafoe as uh, Thomas Wake, who is already the wiki of this film. But and it's just these two actors going head to head, and then just thinking, "Well, oh, okay, I'm going to go here. Or I'm going to go here. Okay, bang, bang, bang," and. It's like it's like it's like that. It's like Robert Pattinson versus Willem Dafoe. It's not Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe because these 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 wikis are so at each other's throats at times that you feel like one of them is going to kill one another. Um, but it, it's just it. You can look at this film and just think, "Oh my god, this is so fucking weird. Why the fuck would you watch this film?" Like it's it's so weird, but it's just it's so weird and singular and unique and. Eggers just fucking nails it. He just nails it. And I'm really, really excited to see what Eggers does next, particularly in horror as well, because he and Ari Aster, one of my favorite other um, directors as well at the moment, Ari Aster, I think Aster's working, moving towards a comedy, but um, Eggers, please stay in horror, because he, you, like, you want to, I'll talk to you right now, Eggers. <laughs> 
something off the chance that you're listening to a uh, podcast from a 23-year-old in Australia, Eggers, please stay in horror because you are making some of the best horror films I've seen in a long time and um, just making some of the best films I've seen in a long time because The Lighthouse is just something which I, I've never, ever seen anything like it before and it is a film that should be seen. Do not avoid this film. If you want to see something very different and unique, do not avoid The Lighthouse. Get wrapped up in it and go crazy with these characters and... Um, See how you fare afterwards. See how your dreams are. Um, I cannot recommend this film enough. It's incredible. Number two is uh, a film that actually was the film that ended up shaking up this whole list. Um, this is why I wanted to watch every single, um, well, not every single film, as I said, but this is why I wanted to get around and watch um, all the films that people were talking about so I could really make a definitive list of um, of what I, what I watched and what I liked. And I'm so glad I, I slipped this movie in the last minute um, because it blew me away. Uh, but I'll get to that in a minute. This is the one that made the final shake-up. This is the movie that caused me to like put, put this off for another day and say, nope, I need to marry on this a bit more. I need to... Um, I need to just sit down, I need to think, and I need to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm doing a list right here. Um, and this film is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, I only watched this film this week, and that's why it, it's it's the one that's sh- shaking everything up. Because again, I went to marinade, and after doing so, it has to, where the lighthouse used to be at number two, Portrait of a Lady on Fire just slid in and said, nope, I'm number two. <laughs> um, what is this movie about? Well, it's um, about two women, well, it's about one woman, Marianne, who is um, hired by another woman's mother to paint her um, wedding portrait because she's about to be given away to a man from Milan. They're going to get married. And one of the things that you did was, um, I believe it's in the 1800s, I believe, and one of the things that you did was get your portrait painted and have that for you and your husband to have. And uh, so what she has to do is she has to paint her portrait. But here's the problem. The lady has had her portrait painted before and has not liked any of the portraits she has painted and, in fact, does not want a portrait painted of her. So Marianne has the struggle of trying to paint this woman, Heloise, but at the same time, lying to her about what she's doing. So what she does is she takes her on walks, and she pretty much is her daily companion. She takes her on walks, she sits with her while she reads her book, and then she brings her back to the house. But while she's out, she has to paint her, um, well, she has to um, look at her and um, study her, and then when we get back to the house at night, she has to paint what she remembers. Because she can't, obviously, she can't um, know, she can't, let Heloise know that she's painting her. Yeah, that's the plot. And if the plot wasn't enough, the film just takes you in a direction where I just not, didn't expect. I just did not expect to go with this film the way I did. Um, this movie is nothing short of fucking enchanting. 
Uh, I think Celine Siama directs this movie with such a gentle hand. She's so delicate with her shots. The cinematography is pristine. Uh, I think it was shot in 8K or something to to really keep that color in the film because every nearly every shot in this movie looks like a fucking painting. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Well, how about a portrait of a lady on fire as a portrait? Holy fucking shit. Um, but unfortunately, most people are going to find this movie very slow and will, fi- will unfortunately be labeled as a classic nothing happened movie. Um, but it's an entirely different story with me. Uh, I did not expect to get so swept up in this movie the way I did. Uh, I cared for Marianne. I cared for Heloise. I feared for them. I just really wanted them to be okay and safe. Um, it exhibits love in the purest and deepest form. And the, the chemistry between... Um, I, I don't even want to even pronounce these actors' names. And it's not out of the um, disrespect of just not one of the pronounce their names. It's just... I don't think I'm going to do their names justice. Um, but it's there's these two women that play Halloween, um, Marianne and Heloise, are just... It, their chemistry just soaks through the screen. It's... It's so beautiful to look at. The film has so many beautiful private moments by candlelight. It has unspoken truths and lies. You got split-second glances between these two women, particularly between in the opening and the first couple um, half an hour, but of Marianne looking at Heloise, and Heloise will look at Marianne, and then Marianne has got to look away because she has to know that you know she doesn't want to obviously tell Heloise what's going on. Uh, but some of these glances can be like turned from lustful to loving. And the final shot perfectly illustrates what the film is about and the emotional journey it takes its characters on. Um, I don't want to talk any more about this film because you need to see this film. Um, it is just absolutely beautiful in every way. It reminds me, when I watch Call Me By Your Name, I come out of that film just saying how much of just a beautiful, with capital letters, beautiful film that was. And um, was not just a quick love love affair or, or a fling. It was something that, will, that is going to be truly remembered and treasured for the rest of those characters' times. If those characters were to live on beyond the film, it would be treasured by them. Um, I, again, I just I cannot recommend this movie enough. I, I know it's a two-hour French film, but to reinforce what Bong Joon-ho said on Monday at the Golden Globes, if you can get over the one-inch barrier of subtitles, there is so much more waiting for you in the world of cinema. And, you know, who, who knows? You might even find a new favorite. Um, so if you want to take that dive and you want to watch some foreign films, I think Parasite and this, again, enchanting two-hour pure and passionate love story is a, a fantastic start. Okay. I've lost the other piece of paper. Anyway, I don't need it because I know what my number one is, and you probably guys you guys probably know what my number one is. If you've been listening to the podcast at all, especially in the latter half of 2019, you would know that my number one is Ariaster's Midsummer. Um there's not much I can say about this movie. I've already done a podcast talking mostly about it, and I was going to do. Um, I've actually got. I've, I've still actually got a few bits planned on it. 
and I, I will. I think I, I, I definitely will. I, I will do a podcast on this film because it is just unlike again, like like a lighthouse. Anything I've ever seen, it's a it's a nightmare in broad daylight. Florence Pugh gives the best performance I've seen from. She gives my favorite performance of 2019, hands down. Male and female, Florence Pugh gives the best performance I've seen in 2019. And she's just, like, I said it before, she is a name you're going to look out for because Ari Aster has a way of working with females, females that just gets just the best out of them. Um, she's one of the best criers I've ever seen, that's for sure. And she she illustrates trauma in, in a way that will just it'll make you feel sick and twisted, but at the same time so um, empathetic for her. Uh, but let's get on to the film. Um, everything about it is great. Ari Aster's script. I've writ- I've I've read the script twice now. Um, I've read it in two different versions, two different forms and versions, and I've seen this movie eight times. Um, after I saw it in the cinema, I I went back. I waited for its release in digital, and then I saw it, and then I watched the director's cut. And I think I've seen the director's cut. I've seen the director's cut three times. And so if you want to count all the times I've seen this movie, it's it's eight times. So I've seen the director's cut three times and I've seen the uh, theatrical five times. Um, and then I got given the Blu-ray for my birthday um, from my mate. And... It's 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 just in, it's just incredible. The cinematography from Paul Palakowski. I don't want to. I don't want to fuck his name up, but um, I think it's I think it's Paul. Like Ari Aster mentions him because he's also the um, cinematographer of Hereditary, which is Ari Aster's first movie, um, and that was from t- uh, 2018, 2018, 2017, 2018. I think it was 2018 actually. Um, oh no, 2018. I was wrong. Sorry about that. Uh, I just want to get that cinematographer up because everyone needs to be mentioned it because everyone. This is a film. Um, that I'm gonna I'm gonna mention it when I talk about it in a, in a singular podcast. It is a film that works on all cylinders. Everyone is on the same page in this movie. All the actors are on the same page. Ari Aster is just he just leads a production that is almost perfect in every single form and every single technical aspect. Um, Paul Pogos Pogaziski. Oh my god! I'm sorry, pal. Um, <laughs> Uh, the score by Bobby, Bobby Krillick. Um, the production design by Henrik Svensson. Uh, the editing, uh, the editing as well. Um, God damn it, where's the editing? Uh, because I've, I really, I've heard of it. I've listened to podcasts and I've listened to a lot of interviews where Ari talks about his editor. Um, is it casting? Oh, Lucian, Lucian Johnston. Lucien Johnston. Um, again, he also did um, Hereditary's um, edit as well, and it's, it's it's all of the people that Arias has worked with before. But then he just makes something so more, I think, substantial than Hereditary. I think Hereditary has it's a really good horror film, but I think Midsummer is a, just a good film in general, um, a great film in general. Um, the production design is. It's 
it's so exquisite and so and so beautiful. I even had a I I had my party, uh, my twenty third birthday party from last year, based on this film, and I was able to take so much from the film's um, art and um, and backgrounds and scenes and um, sequences that. It was able to be fully realized into uh, you know a whole party kind of thing, and I was able to take a lot of a lot of aspects from the film and, and put them in that party. Um, again, I I, go, I, go, I get so caught up talking about it, but it's there's a reason why it's number one. Um, I don't think I thought something would shake it after um, seeing it. I thought something would eventually shake it. I thought the lighthouse would shake it, to be honest, but. I watched it, I watched it again, and it's still just something that is absolutely fucking extraordinary. And, uh, again, nothing has made it, uh, even, they've made it budge, but Midsummer remains solid, it remains rock solid, and it remains at the top of my, uh, 2019 top 10 list. Midsummer is my number one movie of the year, um... Again, might have been a surprise for a lot of you, and you might have thought that something could kick it off, but no, 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 no. Midsummer is here to stay eight times now. Let's go for a nine. Fuck it. Let's go for a nine after the podcast. Um, eight times now, and uh, every single time just gets better and better and better with each viewing. And it's not about you can you can talk about how effective films can be. You can talk about your rewatchabilities and how much fun you have. Midsummer has that in spades for me. I'm able to really enjoy this film. I'm able to analyze this film. I'm able to be just completely swept up in the film's um, energy and atmosphere. And I'm able to just appreciate it as it's a just a, this is a beautiful and exquisite piece of art that it is. And Ariaster, just like Robert Eggers, Ariaster, if you're listening to this. Keep making movies. Just just keep making movies because you're the, one of the best working today. You're one of the most unique voices working today and really, really want you to continue making movies. Uh, if you want to make a zonky comedy next, like you said, do it because I'll watch it. I mean, I'll watch Strange Thing About the Johnsons. Holy shit. Um, by the way, if you haven't seen Strange Thing About the Johnsons, um, this is one of Ari's short films. It's on YouTube. It's very odd. I will not tell you anything about it. Just watch it without, without knowing anything and, and going go in there blind because it's something else. <laughs> and it's only going to be made by, you know, from the mind of Ari. Um, it's it's something else, man. But yeah, that's it. Midsummer, number one movie of the year. Um, yep. Excellent. And it's... it's uh, yeah. Yeah. Watch it, I guess. I mean, that's that's the only thing I can say about it, really. Give it a watch. It is. It'll be unlike anything you've ever seen. Ever seen a horror movie in in just beautiful pastel daylight? I don't think you have. Um. So that's it, everyone. That's my top ten best of the year. That's my top five worst, and those are my honorable mentions of the year. Before I sign off, I just want to uh, say a little quick announcement that I want to do. Um, next week I'm going to be talking about The Gentleman, Little Women, um, I believe, little, uh, look, yeah, Gentleman, Little Women, 1917, and I'll be doing my top 10 anticipated for 2020, 
But as a little bonus on the weekend, because I can't get enough of talking about movies, on a little bonus on the weekend, I'm going to release a little small podcast talking about my um, top 10, uh, 10 or 5, whatever number it is. I've got some films that I want to talk about because um, these are going to be my underseen gems of 2019. Um, because believe it or not, there is more films out there uh, made by independent filmmakers that were not seen by many people. And um, I want to give them the praise that they deserve because these films are they're, they're not your average cup of tea. And uh, not many people, I mean, they ever were given, uh, you know, um, very low distribution, distribution, can't even say that word right. Um, or just not many people saw them, didn't make the box office that they were going to make, or they just didn't get the, um, uh, uh, I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find the word, uh, oh, I've lost it, I'm not going to say it anyway, but there are some films I want to talk about, um, I've watched a few of them recently, and I'll be watching, um, a few more that I've got on the list that I want to talk about, I've heard some good things about them, and I've heard some, there are some mixed opinions on some of them, but I just want to, um, bring them to light and I want you to guys to discover some more films um, before we take 19 out and move on to 2020 so on the weekend there will be an Underseen Gems podcast not uncut, Underseen Gems um, podcast before I move on to my um, the first movies I saw in 2020 and my most anticipated for 2020 so guys thank you very very much for sticking with me 2019 um, hopefully I continue to do more. I plan on, I've got a lot more planned in the, in the new year. Um, I keep saying to me, mates, 2020 is going to be in my year. Uh, they keep saying back to me, well, I'd hope it is. <laughs> um, and I really do hope it is. And I've got some, I've got some good things planned for the new year. Um, especially in the first few months and I'm uh, looking forward to giving that to you guys. Thanks for listening. Do check out these films. Do not watch Cats. And I will see you, well, you'll, you'll hear me, I guess, on the weekend. All right, take care.